Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Lily Zalecki, the Deputy Chief Information Officer for the Information Enterprise at the Department of Defense. Lily, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me. Thank you so much for having me, Jason. This is exciting because we're talking about a new memo that you all put out. And sometimes people go, oh, no, not another new memo. But this <laughs> is really interesting for several reasons. First, obviously, it's focused on the joint warfighting cloud capability, the JWCC effort. So let's start right there. What is the memo focused on? What are its goals? What are you trying to accomplish? Give, give me the high level perspective. I would say like you should look at it as a scene setter for a great movie. It gives us an opportunity to just forecast and broadcast to the entire department our intention for why we went through the great lengths to put together such an incredible contract with JWCC that brings the hyperscale CSPs, sort of brings us on par with the commercial offerings for cloud compute and services, and basically, you know, tells the department that our intention is to maximize the use of JWCC, this enterprise cloud, multi-cloud capability to the maximum extent possible. In addition, it sort of lays out that now that we have this multi-cloud capability for the enterprise, how do we look at what we have already going, all the cloud activities that have sprouted up for need, that is, understandably so. So it's going to help us rationalize. So we preview that and that our intention is to do that and ultimately also hold every single one of us accountable that we're going to do what we say we will do in the memo and in the guidance and for the reasons that we put together this JWCC contract. So we're going to you know, establish a good governance that's going to help us walk that. So let's talk about some of those goals. I mean, you, you lay out a couple really specific areas you want folks to start on. For instance, you talk about the fourth estate or, or the defense agencies really looking at JWCC for all new cloud requirements, moving existing cloud services to JWCC. That's obviously easy to say, hard to do. Maybe walk me through how you're going to kind of try to help those organizations meet those goals. Honestly, you said it. It is not easy and that we know that to bring the entire department from the siloed contracts that we've been putting together to meet mission need now to say, everyone, drop what you're doing and now follow JWCC. That's why I think that we constructed the memo that we, the way we did, because our number one priority is one, to make sure that we don't break mission. So we are going to walk this wisely and methodically, and we're going to take this step by step. So starting, you know, the fourth estate for all in JWCC once contracts expire makes sense because we're at an OSD level. They are providing enterprise capabilities for the most part. And there's really no reason why the fourth estate and the OSD components uh, should not hop on to JWCC. And if there are, then, you know, we'll go through the evaluation process to determine you know, what makes sense. We're not going to do anything that doesn't make sense. But ultimately, we've gone through such great lengths to put together this incredible offering. And we want to make sure that we eat our own uh, dog food, as you as you will. So that's us, the fourth estate, the, the OSD components. We will go first um, because also the military departments have gone through great lengths to set up their own enterprise cloud 
platforms and we don't want to perturb the incredible missions that they're accomplishing through those to make sure that we're walking this wisely. So ultimately, that's sort of the methodical thought process and the way we even constructed uh, the memo, the guidance memo when we did it. Generally speaking, when you talk about the fourth estate or defense agencies or even the military departments, all of them are using Google, Microsoft, Amazon, Oracle in some way or the other. I mean, I guess there could be some outliers, but for what JWCC is providing, uh, really platform and infrastructure as a service for the most part, they're already there. So is it more simple than maybe it seems like? And simple is maybe not the right word, maybe more straightforward. Hey, we're using Microsoft on this contract. Now we'll use Microsoft on JWCC. It's really just a lift and shift, which I know is probably a bad term for cloud. First of all, when we talk JWCC, it's this is the enabling contract capability. So there's nothing to lift and shift, right? If it happens, you know, through the task order, a service or a component was already using AWS and they ended up getting AWS, is they just switch contracts, right? It's it's switching the vehicle that they're using. Most critical part to remember about JWCC is one, it streamlines, to your point, there is many contract vehicles that have popped up over the years as we've learned and done cloud that we really need to streamline. So it is really an imperative for us to be a joint force, interoperable, looking at commonality across clouds, et cetera, for us to really be on the same vehicle, the same multi-cloud construct. So that's really what JWCC helps us do is start to streamline that. And then the rationalization piece is really where you're sort of hinting at, which is really now we need to look at our entire cloud portfolio to determine how are we going to now start right-sizing? Because to your point, the components have stood up contracts, but contracts are not forever, right? They expire, the conditions evolve, but really with JWCC, our ability to deal directly with the commercial sector the whole point is to continue to evolve with the mission need and then with innovation, right? As the commercial sector continues to evolve there and really honestly speaking, technology is evolving so fast that to bring up a contract and put down a contract and try to catch up is really a FET for any component. So JWCC actually helps us sort of even rein that in and helps us continue to keep up with the technology trend, et cetera. And I know you didn't mention this specifically, but there are also, when you talk about rationalization, not just of contracts, there's also a cost and security side that is, is a big benefit where now, you know, pick your, you know, defense agency X is now going to pay one cost instead of, well, they pay a little bit over here for Amazon and a little bit over here for Amazon and That's a little right. bit over here for Amazon. Now you're going to pay one. Is that the other kind of piece that you're trying to, that that is, you're trying to educate the defense agencies, the fourth estate about, hey, this is why this is good for you, not just because we're telling you to do it, because there's these other benefits that maybe you you haven't considered or, or haven't thought about. Absolutely. I mean, why do we do uh, JWC or enterprise capabilities and contracts? It's really to get best value. And our buying power shoots up by us sort of centralizing and having this vehicle. So that way, you know, all of us are benefiting as a department versus 
you know, one entity may get a certain price and the other, ultimately the contract is directly tied to our ability to get best value from the commercial sector. And a lot of times, you know, it may very well be a very critical or very specific need, then we'll evaluate that, you know, the components will have to acquire certain capabilities that they need directly. But I think ultimately it it is about buying ourselves the best value, the best capability at speed directly from the CSPs as they get served by many, many of the, you know, smaller integrators, et cetera, because they don't do it alone either. Uh, So I think it's really, honestly, the best construct for all of us across the board. When you've looked at the fourth estate and you've had the conversations with them, have you have an idea of how much will be going to JWCC yet? And I know based on the reporting we've done previously, there's been some discussion about how that task order process will work. So I guess it's it's two questions in there. First of all, roughly, do you know how much will go to JWC in the next year, next two years? I don't know if you have that data. And then secondly, how has the task order process kind of continued to evolve as you've gotten more into JWCC? As you know, the DISA hosting and uh, compute center really does the programmatics for us. Uh, and I can tell you that we have been very pleased in how much the process has taken off already. First of all, DISA was the first one to start getting on board. Like I said, eating our own dog food is, you know, the best way to show folks that we really care and we, we mean what we say. So DISA was the first one, but really there are many task orders already. I believe about 11 have been awarded. And then there's anywhere from 30 to 40 in process at different levels, the the task order process. So really at this stage, the, the fact that the demand and really the process has already shown us that it's it's gone beyond our expectations as we implement this. So we just kicked this off not many months ago and we're already really charging forward. I cannot tell you, you know, exactly how many percent. Again, that really depends on when their contracts, the components contracts expire, and then, you know, what we'll be able to move immediately, et cetera. But again, we really believe we're off to a great running start with implementation. I appreciate the the data you've been able to provide. And then has the task order process also evolved a little bit? I know there's some early discussions about how it would work. Maybe it'd be uh, maybe assigned, if you will, maybe that's not the best word, but there's this idea that, well, this will go to AWS and this will go to Microsoft or Oracle or whomever or Google, or how has that task order process evolved? Is it more traditional now, but maybe more happens more quickly? That's really the whole point is to speed up the process, uh, the acquisition process or the task order process. So that's really, as the hack puts it, sort of a turbo tax kind of uh, you know, you put your process in and, and then, of course, it also depends on the receiving components to ultimately make some decisions as far as how they go about uh, in their co- contracting options. So there are optionalities. That's the other thing this contract buys us, the way we do it. Uh, but ultimately, um, again, this is the whole point of having a multi-cloud is to have the optionality and the diversity that the various CSP springs. So we are not going to assign this goes to this one, this goes to this one. 
that's the whole uh, task order competing process is about. Lily, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation. My guest today is Lily Zalecki, the Deputy Chief Information Officer for Information Enterprise at the Defense Department. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Lily Zalecki, the Deputy Chief Information Officer for the Information Enterprise at the Defense Department. Lily, let me go to the other part of the memo that I thought was really interesting, which is this idea of the military departments and defense agencies. I think the word shall or strongly encouraged to use JWCC for secret and top secret cloud services. Walk me through that decision a little bit. I think the way we step through the initial conditions and requirements is, like I said, the fourth estate and OSD components really, as their contracts expire, should really be hopping on JWCC to the maximum extent possible for unclassified, secret, top secret across the board. For the military departments, to the point I made earlier, they've made a lot of investments in uh, establishing, especially on the unclassified side, quite a bit of their cloud activities. And really, they drive a lot of the warfighting missions, and we really don't want to break missions. So we are lenient on the unclassified piece, but we strongly encourage, again, we're not really mandating it, but we're strongly encouraged. The secret and top secret piece, especially the top secret piece, was an incredible gap that we had in DOD that we've brought to the table. And we really want that to be used to the maximum extent possible. And really, that's where also it makes sense from just overall our mission perspective that we really need to be in a joint manner and that we need to be interoperable and consistent across the board. So really, that was the idea behind it is to really walk this wisely. And, you know, we can certainly mandate things, but mandates are not really the point. The point is, how are we going to ensure that, one, we don't break mission, but also how do we support Ultimately, this is an enabler. So we want to enable the components, the military departments. We want them to want to come to JWCC. So as they see the trends, uh, I can guarantee it they're going to start. And really, the buying power is going to be incredible for us also. So it's going to ultimately work itself out as we walk the journey. You mentioned there was a gap you saw with uh, secret and top secret. Was that gap? the military departments were slow or or not quite ready to move to cloud and they were waiting for the right, something like JWCC to come out? Or was it more like there was this piecemeal, like maybe to help define the gap piece because it's- The piecemeal is exactly it, right? And the requirements are now in the world that we're in, the digital battlefield expanding, where that's really where most of our, I'll say, pacing threat and cyber security, et cetera, as all that increases, as the, I guess, the fight really evolves, the mission need evolves, we're seeing more and more that that piece of the fabric is becoming even more critical and our jointness is becoming more critical. I'm sure you've heard of JADC2, you know, Joint All Domain Command and Control. It's not that we didn't do it before, but now it's an, an even more imperative to, you know, keep pace with the, you know, pacing uh, challenge and threat. And really, JWCC is at the heart of now really enabling us 
directly within DOD to be able to advance the capabilities and cybersecurity that we need to continue and, and evolve our mission. Do you get any sense about how much need there is for top secret and secret? Again, I know it's hard to put measures on it, but is there data that you have that you're generally speaking able to share about kind of the how folks want to use this capability in JWCC? I think the need is there, period, full stop. I mean, that is really, I mean, we we haven't made it a secret, you know, the secret fabric is our war fighting capability. You know, we we need to we need to continue to bolster and continue to evolve those fabrics and the need and, and the requirement for the entire mission is there. And that's really what we're focused on and looking at more than really the numbers of, you know, users, et cetera. But, you know, again, the need is there across the board from unclassified to the top secret fabric and data is at the heart of it, as you know. So information across the board is imperative and how we move that data, et cetera. And JWCC, once again, is at the heart of enabling us to have that uh, compute and um, services capability. So I think the focus is more on the mission. And rightfully should be. We know JWCC's history in terms of trying to be, you know, fit for purpose and, and obviously general purpose and, and that idea. I want to jump over to the governance piece. You mentioned that earlier, that the, that's the other really key part of the memo. And I love that you came up with a new acronym, the DOD IEPM2C. Try saying that with one, with one mouthful. <laughs> exactly. So maybe let's talk about how this governance was is being set up and really what's this really mean for JWCC? Because as you said, folks, moving to the cloud is not new. The, the military departments, the defense services and agencies have been doing it for quite a while. So how's this governance process going to work and, and, and talk a little bit about how it's set up? First of all, we're looking at all of our capabilities as portfolios. And, you know, the management of that, in addition, modernization is included in there. And then, like, our capabilities are evolving. So we really needed to make sure that our governance evolves with our uh, requirements. And, you know, JWCC is one aspect, but in general, cloud, software, we have defense business systems, but you know, from a rationalization standpoint, we're looking at our entire IT portfolio, et cetera. So we really needed to um, move away from, uh, you know, our previous governance was focused on more net-centric look. Now we're really looking at evolving our focus to a data-centric uh, focus. And that's really how the governance is evolving. So a lot of our cloud initiatives and activities are now going to be going through this process. But also, you know, if you look at software category management, which is really ultimately in a back end sort of way is directly tied to why do we move to the cloud? You know, it is really about uh, evolving our software portfolio. So we're going to do all of these things in a more current and streamlined and collaborative way. That's the other piece is we really, this is not a DOD CIO only walk or a DISA only walk. This requires incredible collaboration across the department. And we're taking all of that into account and we just needed to evolve our governance and really say that we are going to take this cloud piece as well as the guidance that we put out 
we're going to implement in a real way uh, and and really remove barriers and ceremonial things and really do some serious uh, work in this governance. When you talk about remove barriers and more collaboration, what's the first thing this kind of governance body is going to take on beyond what do we move to GWCC or whatnot? Or what are some of those kind of initial things that are going to be most important to, to try to tackle? We will immediately begin the data call we promised and the rationalization effort for cloud. We're also going to take up, you know, indirectly, this is related to, again, software um, is going to be a part of category management, which is really, again, the buying power uh, of the department for software and software services. We're going to take that up. User experience. Ultimately, how do we use and how does that translate to the user and to, you know, how do how does this help us get out of technical debt? So all of these things are what we're going to take up through this governance process. Uh, but I wouldn't be so focused on the governance as much as really accountability. And ultimately, when we think governance, oh, we're going to put the hammer down, we're going to get after the... No, it's also keeps us accountable. DOD, CIO, DISA, all of us, you know, around the table. So really that's the shift we're, we're making with this governance is that this is, you know, a whole of DOD governance that we're going to try to make sure that it, it remains accountable. We track what we need to do and say, uh, do what we say and, um, so I, I think it, it was an imperative that we evolved the governance process. A lot of times DOD or really any agency puts out these great contracts. They, they talk about it, they celebrate it. And then, you know, you look down the road three, five, seven years, and it hasn't quite lived up to what it wants. Uh, we won't go through the litany of contracts that we could talk about. What metrics are you using and that you obviously are hopefully maybe publicly or maybe not publicly share that says, okay, this is how we're going to see if JWCC is really doing what we hoped it would do. Well, I think what you're going to start seeing is the results are going to show in our mission accomplishments. For example, we've really, one of the things that we're driving as a priority is enabling tactical edge, global compute fabric. That doesn't happen, uh, you know, just uh, on its own. It's going to require us to have that connectivity, interoperability, the ability to work together as as an entire department, and really across our our um, the federal entities as well as uh, our coalition partners. So as you see all those things materialize, really, that's the kind of thing that we're in you know, beginning to enable, and you know, that is laid out in our software modernization implementation plan. Really, we're not moving to cloud just to move to cloud. We're really enabling some serious critical capabilities that we've laid out. The software factories, when when you start seeing what they are delivering, how they're, we're streamlining and being able to do DevSecOps and, you know, modern software practices, then you'll start seeing, seeing those are the measures of a good contract, to be honest with you. Lily Zalecki is the Deputy Chief Information Officer for Information Enterprise at the Defense Department. Lily, thank you so much for taking the time. I learned a lot about the JWCC and obviously uh, a lot more to talk about as we, as we look to the future. Thank you so much. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, 
We'll shift gears and talk to Guy Cavallo, the OPM Chief Information Officer. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. I'm here with Guy Cavallo, the Office of Personnel Management's Chief Information Officer. Guy, always a pleasure. Thanks for taking the time to uh, join me. Uh, Thanks, Jason. Glad to be here. We just got out of a session focused on network modernization, and it's something that we've been talking about uh, in the federal community for, for it feels like, decades now. Mm-hmm. Let's start with the latest. You've been on a fast track to move as much as you can to the cloud with an OPM. You're obviously taking the work you did at SBA and, and TSA and other agencies and, and, and burning those bridges behind you. So what's the latest with your move to the cloud? Where are you today? Where are you heading in the future? Right now we're going on, like you would expect from me, multiple parallel paths. I, I don't do this sequentially. So from an end user perspective, we're moving them from having network storage to being able to use cloud storage. Again, the advantage of that is that they can now access it through their mobile phone. It's automatically backed up. They have more storage and all that. So on on the end user front, they're seeing these incremental changes of the way they used to work that are now uh, moving to the cloud. On the, the system basis, I think we're up to 33 applications that either were on-premise before or we've implemented them new uh, because I'm not implementing any, any new on-premise applications in the cloud. You know, those are a variety of software as a service uh, application being hosted in either a, a uh, virtual environment or, or even as a infrastructure as a service, which we're trying to minimize as much of that as possible. I want to use native cloud services as much as we can. You said about 33 apps, either new ones or formerly on-premise. How many do you have that you'd like to move to the cloud? Hundreds, dozens more? There there are hundreds more, Jason, but we've spent the last year doing an application rationalization analysis, so we actually have a comparison now of what applications are high value that are easy to move to the cloud, which applications which are low value and very hard to move to the cloud. So we're using that to help prioritize our, our next approach. My team is currently doing an analysis at a deeper technical level on those top uh, choices, uh, and they're going to come back to me. I, I'm, I'm trying to get us to use a database platform as a service as much as we can instead of uh, migrating servers and still having to patch and stay up on versions and all of that. So they're doing a study on this application, you know, we could rewrite 3% of the code and it could go to a database platform as a service. Or this application, we're going to have to rewrite 30% of the code. So, Guy, do you want to move it as infrastructure as a service now? So that's what we're going through the next couple of months. I was going to ask about the timing of that. Do you expect to have some a plan in place or, or some path forward by the fall, by, by the winter? Yeah, definitely uh, this fiscal year. And like I said, we'll be moving forward on some of those even even this fiscal year. But like I said, I have multiple parallel trains running, and, and so that's that's one of them. From your perspective, what does kind of success look like around the cloud? Is it 95% of everything in the cloud? As you said, some things are low value and cost a lot to move. They may never move to the cloud, or they may move to the cloud in 10 years from now. What, what does success look like? It, it'll be that the major applications are there and have all the cloud protections that I'm on, not able to provide online. Uh, the instant expandability uh, as OPM gets uh, you know, more and more applications like the infrastructure bill, all the, all the thousands of hiring that that entitled really 
uh, we had to scramble to make sure we had enough uh, data center space to handle that. Where in the cloud, it wouldn't. Oh, and even had to worry about it. So those are the things we're going to be looking at. There, there will probably be some things left behind, but even there, I want to question if this is a very hard to use application. And it's very expensive to move it to the cloud. The next question we ask, well, who's using it, and can we get them to stop using it? Or is there, a, is there an alternative that we could switch to? But like I said, I'm not going to waste a lot of time on those up front. They're going to be at the end. I want to move the bigger, impactful applications first. Now, we'll talk about some of those bigger, impactful apps in a second because, of course, we want to talk about retirement services and the new chatbot you mentioned uh, previously. But part of this is your IT modernization strategy and something else you mentioned recently that it's, it's in the final stages. How much can you tell us about what's in it? What, what are some of those goals in it? Give us that high-level view if you can. Yeah, one thing you're seeing out of OPM these last uh, year and a half is that we issued a OPM strategic plan across the agency first, which both me and a number of my executives were heavily involved in drafting that. So there's a strong technology component to it. And then hiring uh, Ted Kalk as our chief data officer. We work with Ted, who worked with our draft of our IT strategic plan to release a data strategy plan. Just timing-wise, Ted got his out first before mine, and it's our IT strategy for FY23 through 26. And it's uh, surprisingly, it's going to focus on move to the cloud, improve user experiences, comply with the cybersecurity directives. There's a lot of good, I know some people complain about executive orders and directives. Uh, to me, a lot of the ones that have been issued on cyber and customer experience are basically telling IT people to breathe. These are things that should be part of our DNA. We shouldn't need a, a the, I'm hoping the executive order isn't getting people to totally change what they did, but uh, actually reinforces if they run into any resistance on why they're doing it. It's good to hear you're going to make the IT strategy public. Is there a set of goals in there that you say by 2026 we want to do these things, or is it more of, lays out more of a roadmap to say today we have X amount in on-premise, we want to get that to Y amount on-premise? Like, Walk me through a little bit about, so when vendors and other want to come talk to you, they can do their homework. We actually didn't do it that way, Jason. What I really wanted our team to focus on was the agency's strategic plan. We've listed out all of our IT strategies and directly tied them to what parts of the agencies are reinventing itself they tie to. So uh, you're not going to find a lot of those with a deadline as much as we really wanted to reinforce the business value that a particularly modernization effort is bringing to a single application, not just uh, we're going to the cloud because Guy wants us to. This is the impact on retirees. This is the impact on citizens who, are, who want to get a federal job for the first time and don't know the, uh, where do I start on, on doing that. Uh, so I think when people see our IT strategy, they're going to see it to be very much business focused, and not saying that we're you know we're going to replace 38 servers with this one cloud instance. Guy, I appreciate that. I think that's it's it's really important for folks to get their head around what this means and how it could work. Guy, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation. My guest today is Guy Cavallo, the Office of Personnel Management's Chief Information Officer. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Guy Cavallo, the Office of Personnel Management's Chief Information Officer. One of the other things uh, I want to talk about is those business value. And you mentioned, uh, again, a recent conference that I was at uh, about a new chatbot launch for federal retirees to help answer questions. Let's discuss that effort, and then we'll move on to the bigger question, the 800-pound gorilla that's on OPM's back, which is the retirement process themselves. Uh, I've been around long enough to know that OPM has tried and tried and tried, and hopefully you will not fall on the uh, graves of others who have also failed at modernizing retirement services. Let's start with the chatbot, though. Sure. We've been looking at what what are ways that we can help reduce the people calling into our call center because, as you might expect, some questions are pretty complex. Other ones are very simple, and it seemed like chatbot technology would be ideal to be able to answer that. So we've uh, worked for several months to come up with a core set of questions. Uh, We've released the chatbot now. We're using it, seeing what people are asking it that we don't have questions for. You know, and we believe the long-term impact is that it's going to pull down some amount of calls where people, gee, I just needed to know when's the call center open, Uh, basic questions like that that until we rebuild our website are very difficult to to find uh, versus, you know, here's my, I worked at 15 agencies and I want to know to the penny what my retirement is. Again, that's going to take a retirement specialist, but uh, we're going to keep refining that, seeing what questions are asked that we can't answer, add more answers to it. And then when we get to the point of rebuilding opium.gov, we'll already have experience with the retirement chatbot. We'll, we'll plan on in also having an OPM-wide chatbot. So we're at the beginning stages of it, but we believe it will have a positive impact on people trying to get retirement information now and OPM information later. We're going to get to the website, but let me take a half a step back. I think you mentioned recently there was something like, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, about 50 questions currently in the chatbot, and you're saying we want to get much more, and you'll, this is a, a part of the, that step process as you'll kind of look at which questions are most popular, which one can be answered. How's that process going to work? How, how quickly can you add more questions and answers? Uh, We're way beyond 50 questions already uh, because those teams are meeting on a weekly basis and reviewing the questions that the chatbot isn't able to answer and then reprioritizing the ones that we answer. So it's not on a set refresh cycle. It's as soon as we're ready to add questions, we can keep expanding that knowledge base. From a technology perspective, what are some of those other changes you're starting to look at? Because, again, as I mentioned previously, a lot of folks have tried, and not many have been successful to really bring this into the modern age. I think what's, uh, what I've heard has failed in the past is that we've tried to do the big bang approach and fix everything at once. What I'm focusing on is let's get current new retirees into a digital form so that we're not trying to fix the entire past at the same time. And then let's also... For the people that are already through paper entered into the system, let's bring that data into that same common customer experience so that our agents can find the status of a retiree in one place. Right now they have to look in multiple places. So that's not fixing everything at once. It's starting to move towards a centralized common case management solution so that everyone 
has a case that can be looked up by the agent. Uh, ideally, you know, what VA has done that I'm hoping when we get to that point we'd be able to do is allow you to, with the right uh, multi-factor authentication, have the bot look up your particular status. Uh, so right now our bot is a very, it's a general, uh, you can't do any PII with it, but when we can get to that integrated case central management system, then the bot could look up the case and see where your application is or where are you in the process. So that's going to take us a while, but that's the path I want to head to. Again, I want I want um, retirees or potential future retirees to be able to quickly find out their status, uh, what, what funding are they going to uh, receive when they retire, and when's that first check going to come that's their full amount. Uh, those are the questions we get today that it's very, it's a very laborious process to get those answers today. What's the biggest difficulty you envision or, or you know of that's in front of you? Is it, is it drawing that line in the sand of when that line should be drawn? Or is it more that, okay, we, OPM's got to get the case file from this agency, but also from that agency and, and kind of connecting all those dots to have a final case file, then I can start processing Guy Cavallo. Yeah, Jess, you just hit the point that a lot of people don't realize. They think that when they turn in their retirement paper to Agency X, that it then immediately becomes OPM's issue. But we can't do anything until the host agency of that employee collects all the data. One of the things we want to look at is how can we change that process so that an employee knows instead of trying to contact OPM because they haven't heard anything it actually hasn't even made it out of their own HR shop. Guy, I'm going to maybe move over to the OPM website redesign, but anything else in retirement services, any other messages you want to make sure folks hear? Because I think, again, this is such a pain point for so many people. I just want to make sure that you have that opportunity to, to hammer home the point. Definitely, since I'm going to be a, re, a future retiree myself, and uh, say in the near future, but sometime uh, soon, I want to fix this before I retire. And so I was about uh, to say, are you going to break news on my show here that you're, you're retiring? Don't do you know. No, no, no. That's good. That's good. I'm, I'm, Keep I'm, staying I'm, around for a little longer. I'm enjoying it too much. I know it's very frustrating and just realize that we do care a lot and we are taking many, many steps. Like I said, you may not see them all. The people that used to be on hold for an hour and then get dropped by the old technology may have forgotten that. And now they're finding they're not getting through in time. So, uh, like I said, the technology was fixed, but we still have a quantity uh, issue. But we, we do care. Uh, we are working hard to f- try to find the fastest ways to improve these and, uh, and uh, just stay tuned uh, for it. All right. More coming. Uh, let's quickly shift over to the website revamp. You mentioned there was four use cases. You yes, mentioned there are four. Yeah. There are four use cases Persona, around that. Yeah, personas. Yeah. Personas. Let's talk a little bit about what those are and, and the technology that's driving uh, the, the upgrades. Yeah, right now, OPM.gov is located on-premise in my data center using a uh, legacy uh, content management system. We will definitely be moving it to the cloud using a much more uh, popular content management system. We're looking at in the CX experience, we really believe we have four major audiences so you have, we've been talking about retirees. We want to make it easy for a retiree to find exactly only the parts that they need to know about with OPM and not see everything else. We have current federal employees who also have a very specific requirement. I want to see what's changed in benefits. 
Uh, I want to see when I get when's my next step increase, what the salaries would be, those type of things. Then we have um, U.S. citizens that are applying for federal jobs. Uh, again, easily trying to find. So if I become a Fed, what does that mean? What are my benefits? Uh, I want to find all that in one place. Uh, so we, you know, that'll be a separate persona. And then the HR professionals that work across the agencies that want to see you know, the latest updates to OPM policies. You know, we've we've had quite a few just in my time at OPM. Everything from the COVID situation to uh, the Infrastructure Act on how to hire and direct hire. Uh, so there's an audience again. They don't want to have to go through all the other stuff to find our policies. So then. As every federal agency has, there are going to be mandated things that have to be on the website. But those four different personas, we feel, will make it much easier for somebody in just a few clicks to be able to find their core information. Where right now, you have to know OPM's division structure to know where to look for, where do I find the latest benefits. What's the timing of this upgrade, roughly? It's in process now. Uh, we're in the middle of hiring now. We're order, we uh, have released our first contract, so it's going to be over the next two years that that's going to happen. I said it'll be a total redesign, different content system, definitely a different platform, be in the cloud, be expandable. And, um, you know, we're very excited about better communicating our messages out there. Your plate's full? And before I let you go, what else are you working on? Are there other priorities on your agenda right now? Uh, yes, I do a monthly project review with my team that takes about seven hours to go through because we usually average around 80, 80 to 100 active projects at a time. Um, and my definition of a project is anything that takes more than 140 hours. So my team knows that I stay on that call the whole time and that I will ask them specifically about progress each month. There was, OPM needed so much modernization, it's, it's I can't do this sequentially. Uh, we're moving across many, many fronts. You know, we did a lot to support the hybrid world of work and have really become a shining example of the rest of government on how to support your hybrid workforce. Uh, it's like, that's old news now, we've done that, It was, but it was a huge project, and now we've moved on to other improvements. I have a mainframe that I want to move to the cloud. That's going to be a new project for me. I've never done that, so I'm excited about about that as we also uh, modernize that code and eventually get rid of the mainframe, uh, which a lot of retirement services is impacted by. So that modernization is another Guy, I'm sure we could talk longer, but you've been very generous. So let me thank my guest. Guy Cavallo is the OPM Chief Information Officer. Guy, thanks so much. All right. Thank you, Jason. Enjoyed it, as always. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. 